Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Faith here with your welcome toast. Raisin cookies that look just like chocolate chip cookies are the main reason we all have trust issues. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. What a show we have for you. We're going to talk later on with Bill Yassis, who was the former pastry chef in the Obama White House. He's been on the show before, and he is really remarkable with pastry, and he's got a new book out. And it's about how to lessen the amount of sugar in your desserts and appreciate them more because you can taste the other ingredients. So we're going to get to that later on. We have a wine for you for the holidays, whether it's a gift or to drink for that special meal. We're going to talk about appetizers with the holidays coming. And on and on we go. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Brosberry, Alex Province, Mark Raymond. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey. Good to have you here. Can we start with, I have this idea that there is something you can do at the holidays for people. Sometimes I do this at regular dinner parties. When you sit down at the table, I'm very interested in the presentation. And by that, I mean, I like to make a present at every person's seat. I'm not talking about anything expensive at all. I'm talking about the smallest thing with a note on a card with their name on it. I go to box stores because it's cheaper there. And I get a decorating paper, you know, a a gift paper that I like. I get ribbon that goes with it that I think is really fun. Mm -hmm. One year I was doing a nighttime thing on New Year's Eve and I did the whole thing black, black wrapping, black bows, because it was kind (laughs) of chic really. But, you know, I get wrapping, I get bows. And then I start searching around for these little tiny inexpensive presents. It might be a seashell that you have either collected or bought at a store. It could be a few bags of a specialty you love. It could be a hot chocolate. It could be a collection of spices that you love from the health food store. So they're Hmm. like 30 cents a bag. And I put it in the box with Mm -hmm. tissue paper. I wrap up the box in my my special wrapping paper. I make a bow and I write a note to that person and I say something about them and how what a pleasure it is to have them at the table. Mm -hmm. And then just a sweet little note. And I put the name of the person on the outside of the envelope. Now that serves as your place card. I put these at every person's place they sit down and they say, oh, what's this? You know, it doesn't matter how fancy it is. They read the card and they feel treasured. 
it's a wonderful way to start a meal. And it's really fun for me to decorate these packages. I love that. Yeah, yeah. you are the best. I mean, yeah. the next time I'm having a dinner party, I need to call you because I <laughs> the table's always the last thing I, I get to. And oh, that no. is by far. There? I know, well, you're yeah. like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> but that is by far the nicest thing I've ever heard as far as a dinner party. Agreed. Yeah. It not only makes you feel like welcomed in your home, but it also gets the conversation going when you, especially if you're dining with people that you don't see that often. Everyone sits down and you have that little awkward pause. You probably don't even have that, right? That's just gone because you sit down and you're like, oh, my God, look at that. And for me, you know, as you're listening for you, too, as you write the note to the person and you can do this a week ahead, a few days ahead. As you're doing this, you can say, you know, think about the person for a minute. What's what's a good quality about that person if you don't know them? Because, you know, we call them the orphans in our family. You know, Mm. outsiders can arrive and you say it means the world to us to have you at our table to share this this meal with you and get to know you. and Brings them into the family. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't matter. And I'm talking about simple things that cost $2. that's what I was going to say. It costs nothing. It takes no time. And how long would it take if you're having 10 people over, 8 people over? Mm. Minutes. You could do this for 4, for 8, for 12, whatever Whatever. it is. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't cost a lot of money. And it says so much. It's like the Christmas cracker, except you actually get something (laughs) sentimental and not a bad joke in the middle. (laughs) All right. right, I'm going to start doing this at my dinner parties. It's just easy. And it's not expensive. That's the the main thing. And you could probably get pretty creative with, you know, the containers you're using. Little bottles, right? Little, yeah, you, little, yeah, yeah. miniature bottles. Sure. With boxes. a little bow on the yeah. top, Yeah, they right? have all these, like, yeah. little miniature bags. Where That's you can a put good idea. In, you know, there's so many different things. Hitting up Michael's on the way home. If you have a rambunctious <laughs> friend, you could just be like, be nice. <laughs> be nice tonight. <laughs> you always have one of those in the family, right? <laughs> Eat the Brussels sprouts um, and be Uncle quiet. Ned, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking Hey, much. you. Cut it out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> So, all right. I'm glad that was well received. Yeah. And let's let's That's see love it. Um, about the appetizers as people are walking in the door for the holidays. Now, some people are going to have just straight out parties and they're just cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and all that. But what if you're having dinner for uh, four or eight or 12 or even more because it's the holidays? What are your ideas about hors d'oeuvres? I'm someone who thinks keep them light. You know, Julia Child, who was someone I knew, she would just do goldfish uh, in, a bowl. in a bowl. And they come bowl. in so many different flavors now. <laughs> you Honestly, do, you know what? I haven't even checked. Oh, yeah. And different oh. colors, too. And different Orange, colors. Yellow, they probably have blue. colored for the holiday yeah. as well. She would have loved that. Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> she would just put out a bowl of those and there would be no hors d'oeuvres because that's, you know, know that's she thought a meal is coming, which is what I think. But some people want to do elaborate hors d'oeuvres. What, how do you all feel about this? I know Garden does um, truffled popcorn, which is great, because popcorn yeah. doesn't fill you yeah, up. The only good. downside to it is that you can buy the truffle oil really inexpensively, and you just drizzle it on, but it's pretty pungent smelling. Yeah. And so my only thought was, you know, when people come through the door, I don't know if truffles the right smell. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> really? I well, it's kind of it. like, like, like it. That's, just, <laughs> that's way better than pine to me. Yeah. <laughs> Those <laughs> Christmas <laughs> candles. Okay, so, Cinnamon. but are you, uh, let, me, let me go around, Mark Raymond. Are you heavy hors d'oeuvres or are you light hors d'oeuvres? 
We're mostly heavy hors d'oeuvres around our family. Because hors d'oeuvre time is probably a long time before the dinner, right? It is. There's a good hour and a half, two hours yeah. before we ha- sit oh, down So to that's eat. a different story. I agree with you. But for me, it's often a briefer time. If I could just, like, say, welcome to my home and shove people into their <laughs> dinner chairs, the chair. I would do that <laughs> because I'm concentrating on the dinner. Alex, how about you and Matt? What do you do? We do a cheese board. So we use that rule of, like, a hard cheese, a soft cheese, and a medium cheese, some nice crackers, and then part liquid. So then we would do the, the standard flute with a raspberry and some cava, prosecco or something. and Something bubbly. Something bubbly. Absolutely. Or add a little Aperol. I always love to do this. For people who don't know what Aperol is, it sure. is liqueur from Italy. It's like Campari. It's made by the same people. So I would say Campari is like a more masculine version. Aperol is like a little more delicate. And it's similarly beautiful orange colored. And you can just take a flute, add a little Prosecco, add a little drizzle of Aperol. It lasts forever. You don't need a lot. And then top it off with sparkling water. And then it doesn't have alcohol or very much. So you don't. So low the, alcohol. these are bright orange. And they're secret recipes. Roots and um, berries. Herbs and, and roots and berries. And they're said to be digestives. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're low alcohol. They're easy on the palate. Really, I think they were designed to give inexpensive sparkling wine a little oomph, right? And they have a bitterness to them, which actually makes you hungry. So it's that sort of bitter bitter flavor that gets you ready to eat. Chris, are you a believer in big appetizers? I like – I'm with you. I'm in your camp. Light, simple, and – in oversleeping this one Sunday morning, I came out with my favorite appetizer of all time now. Courtney let me oversleep. So she set up the most amazing bar for Bloody Marys, uh-huh. right? And she had celery sticks and it was just Bacon. gorgeous. I was going to wake up early, make my crab salad and serve it on a little crostini or whatever because I like light appetizer. So anyway, she lets me sleep to the point where the guests are coming in the door. <laughs> and Did I'm getting up. Oh teeth? my gosh, I'm brushing my teeth. And then... And, and, She's like, they're coming in. They're coming. I'm like, blah, blah. I run over to the refrigerator. I grab my crab. I start looking around, and I see the Bloody Mary setup, and it's so beautiful that I take the glasses, and I stuff crab meat in each glass. I take the Bloody Mary mix. Mm-hmm. I put it in a martini shaker, in a cocktail shaker, and then I take a little bit of olive oil and a little more lemon juice. And then as guests are coming in the door and I'm standing there, I'm shaking this. I pour it over the crab. I hand them a little cocktail fork in it. I drizzle a little bit more vodka on top. And I say we're starting with crab cocktails. And it is a drink and an appetizer all in one. It was like Excuse one of those. Excuse me, why perfect... I go shower? Yeah, you guys make yourself, make yourself at home. At home. I'm going to get dressed now. I'm still in a yeah. <laughs> Here's the stove. <laughs> but it, it's now. This uh, is I where serve the it, China is. I serve it at every dinner party I do now, and no, it's just it, you know, fresh. How it's light, delicious! It's fun. Your box and, yeah. has instructions how yeah. to use the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I and cards. I don't oversleep anymore. <laughs> how delicious! All right, you are listening to the Food Schmooze Party. I'm with my food buddies, Mark Raymond, Alex Province, Chris Prosperi, and Robin Doyen Aiken, our senior producer. Um, also want to thank 
Kion Wolf, who is engineering today's show, and we so appreciate it. And of course, we have recipes coming. We have the Obama White House pastry chef, Bill Yasses, joining us in a couple of segments. So stay with us for that. He's got this theory that sugar is being used as a main ingredient and actually ought to be used as an accent, the way sometimes butter is at the end. No need to dump cups of sugar into desserts. And so fascinating idea. It's how he cooked at the White House. And uh, not only did the Obamas love it, but their guests from around the world love this. I'm very, very intrigued and interested in this philosophy because, you know, too much sugar can be our enemy, although it is a lovely thing. All right, so let's get back to, we're talking about the holiday meals coming from every angle. I'm sorry, we skipped over the wine. We'll get to that in our second segment because we've got a wine that is good if just the two of you or the four of you are having a dinner because it's a little bit more pricey than our $10 to $15 wines. If you're going to someone's house and you are their guest, The idea is to make them happy. So you can walk in the door and say, tuck this away for just the two of you. So we're going to get to that in just a second. I'm laughing because I always think of Chris, how he halfway opens the bottle. With, you know, his, his ideas. Like, I was just thinking that. Gives you the bottle half open. With like, the corkscrew oh. still in it. Sticking so, half out. so if you are a longtime listener of the show, you've heard this story. But if you are new and we love that. Uh, Chris, can you tell that story again? So you spend a fair amount of money on a wine like because a you're so bottle. appreciative that these people are hosting yeah. you, have gone to all this trouble. Uh-huh. Go ahead. What do you and, do? And you, know, and you bring it in and the, you give it to the host and you say thank you. And as they're taking your coat, the wine goes like under the, your coat and it gets like darted out into some far reach of the house, never to be seen never again. Never to be seen again. For <laughs> so sure. now, and I did this the first and time. But, but the reason is yeah, you've chosen it yeah, to go to just because you are not only to share but to go with this particular food yes. if you know what it is. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that um, I spend a fair amount of time in Italy, and in Italy, it's considered rude to bring wine to somebody's house. Why? Oh, wow. Because, yeah, because they have spent a lot of time thinking about what wine is to go with your courses or your meal. And so if you bring them wine, they're completely thrown off. And so you bring them flowers and candy, oh, that's and nice. that's the way it is in Italy. So, so Chris, tell me what you do. <laughs> so I take the foil totally off so there's no mistake. I don't take the cork out, but I take it and I pull it out you about— You screw it yeah, in. No, I take it, yeah, to screw it in, and then I pull the cork about <laughs> three-quarters of the way out. So it's up and out, and now I leave the corkscrew in it because I did this so once at a party. Gift. And then and I handed it to the host, and they said thank you, and they pushed the cork back in. <laughs> and I oh. never saw the bottle again. So now no. I leave the cork. Now I leave the corkscrew in the bottle it. No, with it open. And I say, yeah. Now I say, oh, and I started opening the bottle. And uh, as I was coming, as I was coming here, that way we can open it and pour it right away and share this together. You yes. know, and share just, this together. You know what would be fun is you know how people do take the bottle and they go into the other room later. They'll never remember who gave you the bottle. It would be fun to do what you do, Faith. Like write them a note on the wine label saying, oh, you know, this is special. Idea, and this would be Alan. like. 
hey, so-and-so, like, I hope you are really enjoying this on a beach, you know, on your anniversary or something. Excellent on the back. That's great. With a magic marker. Um, Alex, I love your philosophy of having many kinds of wine on the table because who knows what you like with your turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and, and maybe you don't care. It's just wonderful to have a lot of choices. You can have some fancy have stuff, choices, but you can also sure. have simple stuff that people will recognize and enjoy. And you can have pairing wine, but also have the idea is to make everyone feel welcome. So if you like a Riesling, have a Riesling for somebody. You know, if someone wants something sweet, have something sweet. This philosophy is so great to me because it says, who cares whether you go white to red, red to white, what you yeah. like with what thing? Let's talk about this on the other side of this break. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make, I really do, a charitable contribution to feed the hungry among us. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Beans. I'll be ready. Podcasts of this show are available with all of our recommendations at foodschmooze.org. You just sign up once for the podcast and it comes to you in your inbox. You can listen on your schedule, not our schedule. All right. We have a wine. Normally, we have 10 to 20, at the most, $25 bottles of wine. This time, because it's the holidays, we bumped it up, and it is a beautiful wine. This is something where you walk in the door, you're so proud, and you can, in the Chris Brosberry style, <laughs> either uh, open the cork halfway and say, yeah. this is for us now, or you can say, I do this all the time. I say to people coming in the door, tuck this away for either you or you and your partner. So makes it more intriguing. Like, now we've got to open it. Yeah. What is that? Now we've got to open then it. Then I'm yeah, afraid they're going to be disappointed. <laughs> but in any case, this is a wine thanks to an Alex Province discovery. The whole title is La Fonte Notre Dame. It is a gigondas. Now, here's why it's a gift wine, because the price is, what would you say, Alex? Just under 30, so 28 to 30. Okay. For either Christmas or Hanukkah, although it's not kosher, you could feel so proud because this wine is so delicious. Easy to put a bow on it, too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So, so, Alex, this wine is from 2014, and here we are three years later. Mm. What does that mean, and what does it go with? The 14 and 15 year in France were really good. So 
another thing about these wines is you can put this in your wine cellar. So if they are going to tuck it away for a little bit, it's fine. It'll if you, if you have one, or wine you know, cellar. in your garage or basement or a shelf. Yeah, or just drink well, ca- <laughs> it. It sounds know, easier. Mark mm. Raymond, mm. can you put it on a shelf and have it be okay? As long as it's ca- a cool, dark place. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> the biggest mistake that you do, though, is if you leave the bottle upright, these have a natural cork, and then the cork will dry out. Mm. Right. It needs to stay wet. Now we've so, got oxygen. But you can even bottle. put it in your closet. Just lay it sideways with cool. your shoes. Yeah. Just really? lay it flat. People. What? In my closet in my house, yeah. my house is at 70-plus degrees because I get cold. My closet is not some kind of basement. You know, it's reflecting the the temperature of the house. What are mm. you talking about? Can I hang on to a wine like this? Well, 70, I mean, 70 is okay as long Well, how do we know? People yeah. aren't running yeah. around with... Thermometers. Thermometers yeah, in their closets. Yeah, I, I, like I, always, I said, I think steady temperatures more. I'm going to pour it's, this it's more While you're talking, I'm yeah. going to pour okay. this in but the But it's more Go important ahead. to keep it at a steady temperature right. than it is at a cold no temperature. Highs, One yeah, of the low. only no highs, ways no that I know of yeah. to, to ruin a wine, and I've done it, is yeah. to get it hot. Yeah. If you come home and you put a case of wine next to a radiator or in your car and it's a hot <laughs> summer day with the windows rolled up and you do errands. Or on top of the refrigerator. If it gets hot, it will ruin the wine. But too cold... You know, they talk about vibration, but, we're, you know, what kind of vibration are you going to have in your house? I mean, well, it's wait, not like we're... But people talk about, as we get to this La Font, Notre Dame, Gigondas, uh, which is say a it again. rough kind of big wine that we're going to tell you what it goes with for the holidays. So there's this issue among wine people about whether it's okay to keep your wine in a refrigerator because actually... The refrigerator with its motor vibrates. Mm. So assuming my closet is the same temperature as my house, would I be better off putting this in my refrigerator? Here's the thing. It's no, not a, that it's would be a, too cold. It's a $30 oh. bottle of wine. When people talk about preserving wine, you know, for long term, they're talking about no, s- years, saving yeah. something that's like you're going to save for 25 years. I hope you're going to, by saving it, we mean like you're going to save it for a couple of months or a year or a couple or of years. Two, three years. Two, yeah. two to three years. Yes. But not, life is too short. Drink this Look, bottle of wine. No, no. <laughs> but, yeah. here's, but here's the thing. <laughs> or call me. I'll come over. I'll yeah. drink it if for you. you. you need we help, will help Alex. you drink wine. So, so yeah. I have a wine refrigerator and I do this. I don't expect most people are going to do that. They don't necessarily have a wine cave with a humidifier. (laughs) So um, basements are perfect. Can can I put it in my refrigerator? Six months. Wine refrigerator or your regular? No, my regular refrigerator. No. Wait. We just said heat is the enemy of wine. Yeah, but you know it takes up room too. Cold does the same thing. You know, if it, it goes, if it gets too cold, well, it can be bad. Well, where am I putting it if I don't have a wine cave? Well, you know, if you've got a closet in the middle of the house that's away from all the, the, furnace, the, fur- from the, furnace. the burners or the heaters <laughs> or the <laughs> forced guy. hot air. Chris Prosperi, what are you thinking yeah, as I, we say this? I never have this problem because two years keeping a wine for two years? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Drink it. Drink enjoy it. Life it. is short. Life you is know short. What? Yeah. It's the holidays. You want to gift wine to give to somebody, yeah. whether it's for this holiday, their birthday, mm. and the anniversary. This is a beautiful wine, but it's a big wine. So you want beef and stew. 
Lamb. Lamb. Yeah. Lamb. We take See, a I like that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> They're bumping fists. So it's Lafont. F O N T. We this is on our website. Foodschmooze.org. And it's 2014. Gigondas, Alex. What is a Gigondas? It's the name of the town. It's an old Roman town. It's a hillside. Romans have been planting grapes there for 2,000 years. It's so picturesque. Matt and I did a tour of France. It's that romantic part of France that you, like, love. The north of France in the wine country is beautiful, but it's cold and it's austere. You get down south. Now it's the rolling hillsides, the is cypress this in the trees. South? This is south of France. South like, of Lyon. It's it's where you yeah. want to buy like a house and retire, like an old hut, and you know plant lavender around your house and grow. But I, here's what I'm confused Sage about. So Gigondas is to me always a really big, powerful. You know how people say a lot of the Wall Streeters big reds. I want a big Tuscan red. So this is France. I so think they, of a Gigondas as a really big red. Big one. Why Robust. is that in the south it's of France? It's because the heat is what's getting, you know, cabs. It's the heat that gives them the ripeness and the power. So this is a south of France. So unlike Burgundy, that's cooler and you have the delicate Pinot Noir. This is south of France. So this is the Grenache, which is really a Spanish grape designed to tolerate heat, blended with Syrah and Mouvedre. And it's just big, rich, robust, so teeth-staining wine. Hearty I mean, wine. This is what you, yeah, beef Warm stew we were talking about. Yeah. Beef bourguignon. Warm your bones. Yeah. yeah just mark good. What's our idea? about a roast, roasted leg of lamb? Yes. I love that. Okay. Beef stew. Well, beef lamb stew. chops. This is crazy, though, but if you were going to just take your prunings from your backyard or save them in the summertime, in your driveway or your backyard, build a little fire out of sticks and then take a lamb chop (laughs) with salt and just really quickly cook them over like fire. And this with that wine. Oh, wait, what are we cooking over A piece over of this? lamb. <laughs> like a beautiful okay. like, what about lamb a chop. Steak? What about steak a steak? Steak would be great. But lamb chop, you know, this one, it's so powerful that like that gaminess from lamb, you know, yeah. just sort of, that would be a, a fun classic pairing. So I'm drinking would, it right now. Mm. I'd love to have oh. this. I was thinking more along the lines of you know uh, what? This, a braised this short is, rib. Oh, you know, that's a great ribs, which Chris does a great yeah. job with. With and, uh, polenta. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm drinking this right now, this Lafont Notre Dame. How about cassoulet? Gigondas yeah. from well, that region of France. Yeah. Gigondas. And you hear them saying it has incredible body. And my thought is they're talking about lamb. Of course, that would be beautiful. A steak. Something really kind of hearty. So it could be grilled sausages and oh, that's good. peppers. But yeah. what I, Alex, with this particular wine, what I love about it, because I've had a lot of these, is there's a, you know, if we think velvety, we think elegance. So there is a touch of elegance and yet a beefiness to this wine, a structure to this wine. And I love the streak of velvety stuff in here. These big wines, if you open a big wine like this and you decant it and that just and you don't need a fancy crystal anything. You and can what pour is it into, a decanting? It's just do. a pitcher. Pour just it into any pitcher. Any water pitcher. pitcher. It's what happens? It. All of a sudden it aerates the wine. As you pour it through the air, it bubbles and, and uh you know splashes around in the glass. 
that that air softens the wine and makes a big wine like this become Do on you your palate. Do yeah. you believe that? Because it, I oh, open this bottle. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. but now I want to talk to Alex and Mark, both wine brokers, about this. There have been, Chris, you know, you know this too. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of articles, half say that's bull, and the other half say it really is when you add oxygen, it really does oxygenate the wine and bigger flavors come through. Do you both, from your own experience, not from what people have told you? I'll prove it to you. If you take a bottle of wine that's really tannic and you can get an inexpensive Bordeaux. Tannic well, meaning? Tannic is that tea bag taste, like the structure, bitter, structure, bitter, just a grip very that you tight, get. tight, yeah. tight. It's your teeth furry. It's that sensation. It's a textural feeling on your mouth. Open up a bottle of Bordeaux, young Bordeaux that's, you know, maybe not fancy, and then try it then. Keep it on your counter. Try it tomorrow night after work. Have I poured it into anything? Well, first try it and pour it into a glass when you first open it and just uh-huh. taste it. Cork it up. You know, now at this point, the, the the wine fill has gone now to the shoulders of the wine where the wine bottle gets big. And now you've introduced air into the bottle. Tomorrow night, open it again and pour it into a glass and try it. The wine will be softer the second day. Two different wines sometimes. So, Chris, you're a restaurant chef. Mm -hmm. You see this happening, and I know you like wine, and you Mm -hmm. have an incredible wine (laughs) cellar. Do you find this is true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no question. Um, we Especially like on uh, on wines that um, are very young and very big that we even tell our guests if you just let it sit in your glass for yeah. – even if you – you know, don't rush. Just sit there and let it, let it sit for a minute or two and swirl it around and get mm-hmm. air in it. It changes the flavor. And most and people I, will notice from the mm-hmm. first glass to the last glass Mark they have Raymond. that bottle. Yeah. It's a real thing happening. And just to show the, the chemistry that's happening now, on the third night or fourth night, depend, you know, it takes each wine's different, the wine will finally get to a point where it oxidizes. And you'll taste it. And if you're a restaurant, Chris, mm-hmm. you'll know, and you do wines oh, by the yes. glass, if wines have been open for too long, Over the they'll, weekend, they'll become problems. like an, they'll taste oxidized. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the same it chemistry a negative that's effect. happening. Yeah. It becomes negative. And then it becomes like sherry-esque. Yeah. And that's the taste you're, you're getting. So it's just, it's, it, oxidation is the same principle of cutting an apple in half yeah. and then leaving it on the counter and it turns brown. That's simple oxidation. Yeah. So here's the thing. We're not trying to be geeky with you. We're trying to uh, share what we've learned about wine in case it increases your pleasure of wine. That's our deal. Okay. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find terrific food, wine, cocktails, restaurant recommendations, hot topics, our short, fun streaming videos, and the recipes we feature, we are always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. It's just Sugar, how you get so fly? Sugar, how you get so fly? 
This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and that means the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. To hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Okay, people, here we go. Former White House pastry chef Bill Yassis has, ironically, hit the sweet spot with his new book on dialing back the sugar when you bake, using sugar as, I don't know, an accent, the way you'd use spices, let's say. Pastry chef Bill Yassis' new book is called The Sweet Spot. Are the recipes easy? Mostly no, because <laughs> you have to get a whole bunch of stuff. But if you want to absorb his philosophy to figure out how to incorporate it in your dessert making, please have a look and a listen. Bill Yasses, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Bill, we have known each other for a long, long time. Yes, we have. And I am so excited about this concept of the way you use butter. We used to, like, you know, there are still restaurants that... Um, soak steaks in butter. Mm -hmm. Your genius spot is, and in fact, the name of your book, The Sweet Spot, is to say, why isn't sugar a flavoring agent? Because if you put in too much sugar, it knocks out the flavors of everything else, and it's not necessarily the best thing for us. So can you talk with me before we get into your great recipes about your philosophy on this? Well, you hit the nail on the head, uh, Faith, because uh, I think it's sort of like a, a war of escalation, like you compared it to the butter. One chef uses two, and so the next one feels he has to use three to outdo. And I feel like what's happened in our desserts is that there's so much sugar in everything else in our diet, in salad dressings and soups and, of course, in sodas, that we've become sort of immune to the effects of sugar in the sense that we don't sense it anymore. So by the time people get to dessert at the end of a meal, I think chefs feel they have to ramp up the, so much sugar so that it, it really registers. Do yeah. you feel like after a meal the palate is exhausted? It is. I mean, it's already, it's already you know, tasted all these wonderful things. Uh, hopefully it's been a great meal. So you really just need sort of a finishing touch. What I like about reducing the sugar is that the other flavors of the dessert come out. Like what? In the case of grains, for example, so in this book we use some alternative grains like millet and quinoa and mm. buckwheat and rye. So those are great flavors which are sort of revealed when the sugar is reduced. Let me jump in here and ask you this question because I know there are people thinking this. When you use these things, quinoa and the rest, do these alter the flavor how does it affect the dessert when you use them? It may be better for us because some of these things process better in the bloodstream. Well, that's completely true. And uh, the one thing that I, with my co-writer and recipe testers, always said is 
we don't want somebody to serve a dessert from this book and have to explain it. The host or hostess should not have to say, well, this is, you know, X dessert, but we wanted these desserts to come to the table and stand on their own, and they do. So in many cases, we used uh, just the amount of these grains or other uh, flavors, these layered flavors, to lend a kind of interest to the dessert, but not overtake it. Mm-hmm. So things like millet and, um, and quinoa, they do have a personality, and they show up in the dessert. But um, we sort of veered towards using them as we might use a nuts or, or a nut flour mm-hmm. so that they're an accent and they don't take over. Ah, okay. Quick question before we get to the maple apple tart to tan. Did the Obama, when you were with the Obamas in the White House as their pastry chef, did they request this or was this your idea through conversation? How did this come to be? Well, a little bit of both. Uh, for a long time uh, in bakeries and pastry shops that I worked, have yeah. you know, many customers said to me, well, you know, I tried this recipe, but I just automatically cut back the sugar. And uh, I think many people have, have that in mind, and uh, we're kind of surprised that many recipes still work with less sugar. And then Mrs. Obama famously launched the Let's Move program, which was an effort to uh, make better food choices, and including exercise, and just a general effort to improve the health of, uh, of the nation, especially regarding obesity and diabetes, two things which are directly related to sugar consumption. So it was a combination of the two. It kind of came together in a great way, and that's what inspired me to write this book. I'm trying to think how to pose this question to you, and I'm looking at everybody here on the show with me. We're friends. You can just... (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. We all are drawn to the worlds we're drawn to, and sometimes people who get into the quote-unquote nutrition world do not necessarily, oh, please don't be offended by this, but do not necessarily have the... um, kind of super taste buds, high-level taste buds. And so the food ends up tasting bland to other people. Yeah, that's certainly the elephant in the room. That's why I say no recipe should have to be explained uh, or should have to justify itself, I think, on the health criteria. What we suggest in the book, and we call it the seven pillars of baking wisdom, is that We want to make great desserts. We want to use delicious ingredients. And that may be sugar. That may be butter. That may be other things which in excess cause health problems. But our point is moderation and use great ingredients. The problem is using processed ingredients or shortcuts. So in this book, we use butter. We use all kinds of different sugars. Deliciousness has to be the main focus uh, of the recipe, I believe. That's what I was trying to bring there out you from go. you. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're, all, we're all about that. And, and, no, and no explanation. How many times... Chris Russell. Yeah, how many times do you go to a party or a, someone's house and the dessert comes, and before they even bring it to the table, they say, um, it's really healthy, so it doesn't taste like as good as a regular dessert, but just remember it's really healthy. <laughs> and that's what you mean by... Ex- right? Is that, right? That's the explanation. Totally. 
Nobody. Sad that, that, face. Okay. Okay. So um, we have on our website right now foodschmooze.org. You know schmooze. S C H like school. M O O like the cow. C E. Foodschmooze.org. Um, there's a maple apple tart to 10 that you have, which uh, has turbinado sugar. Before I go on with the other ingredients, unsalted European-style butter, we get that. Grade B maple syrup, which uh, Chris Prosperi and I agree is the best tasting. Golden delicious apples, a flaky pie crust dough, which you give a recipe for, and whipped cream with a little maple syrup in it, fabulous. Mm-hmm. But turbinado sugar, why is that good? Well, it's a semi-refined sugar. So um, it, here, this really falls into the, the deliciousness quotient. Sugar, when it's refined, is sort of used as a panacea because it doesn't have much flavor except sweetness. But turbinado has some of the natural molasses, the minerals, and many of the things that make sugar cane or sugar beets mm-hmm. actually have interesting flavors. So I, I use it a lot in my baking. Sounds delicious. Yeah. I like it too because it's it has other flavors besides sweet and that is so important when you choose which sweetener you use. Like honey, like maple, they all have distinct flavors besides sweet. Bill Yasses, author of, with Peter Kaminsky, of course, who's who's uh, your assistant person and handling the copy in the book. The Sweet Spot. I mean, it's such a genius title because ironically you're talking about how to use sugar as a flavoring agent. And this is the gorgeousness of what Bill Yasses has done. He said, why don't we treat sugar that way? Reduce the sugar and what happens? Boom! Other flavors come forward, and it's not that the dessert is less powerful. It's that you can taste everything together, and it's more in balance. That's what's so smart about this book. Hey, Bill, maple apple tart to 10. Are you going to kill us if we go to the supermarket and buy a pre-made pastry crust? Are you going to be mad at us? Well, uh, I, I'm in touch with all the grocery stores, so I, I know. <laughs> Remember, I work for the federal government, so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you'll, you'll know if we're buying Pillsbury. <laughs> <laughs> what I really care about is I just want to get people in the kitchen baking. You know, I, I yeah. think it's so yeah. satisfying. So, uh, hey, if it's a shortcut, then go for it. Listen, it's nothing to walk over to your oven and turn the dial. So you've got it at 375. You'll see this at foodschmooze.org. We are combining sugar and just a touch of water in that cast iron skillet. I love that thing. It dissolves within seconds, and it starts bubbling. And then what happens to it? Well, it caramelizes, turns that wonderful brown color. So hundreds of new flavors are created when sugar caramelizes. So that's another reason why... I, I recommend uh, using sugar in that way because you're adding a different flavor just by caramelizing it. Uh, all these new molecules are created which, which have a smokiness, a woodiness, a, a earthiness to caramel that doesn't exist in just plain sugar. So once it caramelizes, you have to really pay attention because it can go too fast and go too far. 
so what we recommend in this recipe is having your maple syrup nearby and mm. put that in the pan while it's cooking, and that cools it down so you've stopped the caramelization. Mm. Yes, and then what happens when you add that maple syrup? Maple syrup, even though it's concentrated itself, has a lot of water in it, so that water evaporates. And now you have this really lovely viscous caramel, which is, has maple flavor to it. It has oh, a caramelized flavor. Oh, man. And that's, that's why me. I asked for Golden Delicious apples in this tart, because they're like a sponge. So they just soak up all that deliciousness, oh, and you, yeah. can, you so. can just feel it like going into those apples, and then they get softer as they bake. And yeah. uh, Tatan is one of the great desserts. Oh, my God. Absolutely. So you've got that in your skillet. Then tell me, Bill, what happens next? You're going to put the apples in the bottom of the skillet? Yes, and it's key to really pile a lot in, more than you might think, because they shrink so much during baking that if you just barely cover the bottom, you'll have gaps. So once you have this coloration, uh, as we talked about from the uh, caramelization, and you have your apples in there, then you put your raw pie dough. The pie dough creates a sort of uh, a Dutch oven effect because the apples, as they steam in the oven, their flavor goes into that pie dough and absorbs it so that when it's finished, you have this real concentration of delicious apples and a crispy crust. Oh, yeah. I love this idea, the sweet spot, dialing back sugar and amping up flavor. So other flavors come through. It might be the fruit. It might be the, what, Chris, the pastry. Yeah, the pastry. The, I just like the grains. If it's a nut flour, yeah. the nuts might make, yeah. what, what are you saying? I say I like the grains that he used, too. That's really neat for me for, like, quinoa and millet and stuff, and incorporating that yeah. in desserts is a great idea. People complain to me, well, that's, it's trendy. I don't think there's anything wrong with trendy <laughs> if you're really, like, you know, contributing to people's yeah. welfare and flavor. It's yeah. more going back to the original, right? How things exactly, used to, bread used yeah, to be exactly. like whole grains and had flavor. and Yeah, that's a great point, Alex. Hey, Bill, um, yes. your almond cake. I love this almond flour. People get freaked out. It seems too complicated. Yeah, Can you get well, put us at ease? Sure. It's one of the things that are more and more available in every grocery store now. It's great to have around the house for so many things. I mean, you can put it in smoothies. You can make almond milk from it. So mm. it's worth buying like a pound bag on the Internet if you don't have it readily available. It's like soy sauce in the 70s, right, where you couldn't find it. Now all these ingredients are available. So can I sing the praises of biliosis? Because normally in a recipe like this, it would be one and a half cups of sugar. What does Bill do? One half cup of superfine sugar. I swear to you right now, when you do this cake... You can still taste the almond in the background, the zest in the background, and your blood sugar is not spiking, which adds weight to people. It just makes sense, Bill. Thank you for pointing that out. The funny thing is that when we were doing testing for this book, how quickly your palate adjusts to the new ratios, all these recipes we went down as low as we could but we never went below what made a delicious dessert mm. and in this case for one thing the almonds themselves are rich in flavor and they have a lot of their own sweetness to them 
and uh, you'll ask yourself, why, was, why were we putting so much sugar in a layer cake before this? It almost sounds like you're recalibrating your palate. That's right. You know, getting it back to where we were before people were just going crazy with sugar. Very quickly, I want to tell you that there is poached whole pineapple on our website. Now, if you don't think that is a dramatic end to a dinner, it's amazing as a recipe with honey and anise and lemongrass and peppercorns and turmeric and ginger and saffron. I mean, honestly, it's so interesting. Wow. I love this this idea. Although, can I just say, you call for jasmine flowers. Where am I going to get jasmine flowers? Oh, just, just use jasmine tea. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I got a little bit too uh, precious there. Oh, I like it. <laughs> no, it wasn't precious. It was presidential. It was presidential, absolutely. <laughs> I know. For, save that for when the Obamas come over for I dinner. Know. That's when you bring out. <laughs> oh, no, I'm making that this weekend. i got to try that. I'm going to make you feel better. I had a chef on the show who said, and it was a delicious-sounding recipe, and he said, okay, step number one is make a rabbit stock. And I thought, <laughs> I, my eyes were crossing. I didn't know what to do from that point. So <laughs> this is... Well, I can't tell you how happy I am that you chose to mention this dessert because I had to fight for it to keep it in the book because oh. uh, people said, well, it's just a pineapple. But it's not. It's, to me, it's as, Im- as impressive oh. as bringing a layer cake to the table Oh, it's something which is it's it better. Really yellow from the turmeric, and you don't have to put all of those spices in there. I mean, just the poached pineapple itself is really a, a lovely end to a meal. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, I, I talk to you. just adore you. Likewise. Thank you, Bill Yasis. His book is called The Sweet Spot, Dialing Back Sugar and Amping Up Flavor. We are on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and 9 p.m., Saturdays at noon, weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes, And you know, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.